Welcome, everyone, to Politics Express, the Postwriters Politics Podcast. I am your host, the Postwriters Politics Editor, Lars Emerson. How many times can you say politics in one sentence? Apparently a lot. This week, we wanted to have some quote-unquote fun in trying to pinpoint the most significant event each decade that could have gone the other way to make the United States a little brighter today. Would the 1984 election going the other way have made the U.S. here in 2022 better? What about not going into Iraq? We're going to attempt to find the key event in each of the last five decades that might be worth a revisit for a better tomorrow. With me today to discuss is the Post Writers Editor in Chief, Michael Levito. Michael. Hello. <laughs> And then our guest this week from the podcast that discusses everything from Congress to Drag Race with a gay twist, Zachary Penn. Welcome back, Zach. Thanks. So glad to be here again. Yeah. yeah I mean, you must have had a good time with us last time. You're now a friend of the show, so that's good. <laughs> friend of the pod. I've always wanted to have that title. <laughs> it's good to have you both here to discuss 50 years. <laughs> so the premise of this episode, this is sent our way by, by Zach, actually, is basically... What would we change in each decade to get to a better America, a better world, really, if we're being nice, here in the year of 2022? So to do this, Mike, Zach, and I will each have a magic wand with the power to change one event in each decade starting in the 1970s. We can change, you know, an act of God, a decision by the electorate, a law that was passed, a ruling by the courts, whatever we want. We're just creating a divergence in each decade that we believe sets America on a better path and we don't know what each other are going to say. So, you guys ready to dive in? I am. I like how we're more powerful than God in this episode. <laughs> we, we, I mean, we are. <laughs> I like that we have this moment like in Avengers Endgame. Tony Stark has led us through the space-time continuum and yeah. let's change some shit. Yeah. yeah. So, let's put that disco record on. Let's roll up our bell bottoms and invest some stock in the Apple Computer Company Grooving our way into the 1970s. Why would you roll up bell bottoms? Because it looks cool. <laughs> I don't know. I thought the point was that they have a bell bottom, and that's what looks cool. Shut up. For, <laughs> for Mike's ingression, he will have to go first now. So, Mike, what event are you having go the other way in the 1970s? Okay, so the way I approached this, when we were kind of discussing it earlier... We were talking a lot about like Trump and kind of like how did we end up with Trump, I think. And that's kind of how I thought about it, basically. Or it's like if I had to kind of like if I had to like pin our troubles on one thing, it's probably Donald Trump. Right. Which is reductive, but I think comprehensible. So and I, I have dates for each of my events just just to 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 be a little scrupulous. So mine would come on September 8th, 1974. You guys know what happened on that date? That was the resignation Nixon? of Richard Nixon. It was actually Gerald Ford's pardon of Richard Nixon. Oh. So I feel like this is kind of spicy because I feel like most people think that Ford pardoning Nixon was a good thing because it kind of healed the nation and saved us from a sort of like traumatic and costly and time-consuming trial of Richard Nixon. Those people um, are wrong. Yeah, I don't – and like I, I understand it from like, like one like you've point. made that case before. Right? I, I, I probably have, but I've been thinking about it. And what I think it actually did, the most important thing I think it did was that it basically set this precedent where we do not expect misbehaving politicians, let alone presidents, to be held accountable for their actions, right? Exactly. I think you can draw a pretty clear line from the pardon to, say, 
Bush not getting in any like real legal trouble for all the illegal things that his administration did during the Iraq War or war, war on terror in general. And then also to Trump being able to kind of skate by, right? It's important to note that like the reason Nixon resigned was because he was going to be removed from office by the Senate. Like there were enough Republican votes to remove him from the presidency. Mm. That and was back in the day when Republicans had spines. <laughs> it's true. Yes. And I think that it would have actually ultimately been a good thing if there was this kind of bipartisan attempt to hold somebody, regardless of their party, of illegal things they did in the White House. And I think failing to do that not only set this precedent, but also just like created a sense of cynicism in American politics and kind of also it stoked this sort of like conspiracy theory minded fire of, you know, people were like, oh, well, did did Ford pardon Nixon because Nixon promised that Ford would become president because Ford became president, obviously, through very kind of unusual circumstances. But yeah, I, I, I just think that it really instead of being a giant relief, it, it, we're, we look at it, we look back on it as kind of a relief, but it, that wasn't how it was received at the time. And I think its reverberations have been mostly negative. Hmm. Okay. Zach, what'd you <laughs> pick for the 1970s? <laughs> I considered uh, the pardoning of Nixon, okay. uh, but instead went a little bit later. Mine, and this is a pretty general idea, but in general, I picked that Carter just had a better presidency, a better administration. Mm. Carter's presidency was plagued with a lot of issues, namely the Iran hostage situation and the economy was just in the shitter. It was inflation was out the wazoo. I believe Lars, correct me if I'm wrong, it was it, it still is the worst inflation the country has faced in the last whatever. Uh, certainly in the last fifty 50 years. So even as bad as inflation is now, it's still not as bad as it was in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. So, it, and it it sadly just weighted him down to where he could not win re-election in 1980, which what sort of leads into like my, my 80s pick. But for the 70s, it was just, I wish I could go back and give Carter a better administration. Okay. So mine's actually very similar. Uh, to yours. My, my theme for kind of most of these is I'm a big like elections matter kind of guy, as, as Mike can attest. I just think like choices made by America are very important in like an institutional way. But for the 70s, I think if Carter ha- had had more successful relations with Congress that allowed him to kind of go twofold here is, is just start that American energy transition 50 years ago. We are going to put solar panels on every roof in America, and we are going to invest in wind energy and nuclear energy for that matter. And we're going to like embrace the electric vehicle 50 years ago. Like that would have been, I mean, you know, you, <laughs> you can talk about Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon. And I think that definitely had an effect for the next 50 years, but we could have saved, maybe saved the world is a little generous, but we could have, we could have been back so the much future better That's off. described. Yeah. Yeah. Serious strides. We could have had. Yeah. So, in that, I have a little, like, second choice that's part of that, sort of, is that successful relationships with Congress under the Carter era, I think, also involves eliminating the filibuster in the 1970s, because that's when it was changed. Or that's when oh, the filibuster God, that. rules were changed, and that just makes the next four decades so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was my pick. Those are good picks. I, so I just, and I talk about this on, like, every other podcast, I finally finished reading Reaganland. Which, we know, Mike. <laughs> despite its title, is really more about Jimmy Carter 
than it is Ronald Reagan and basically the struggles of his presidency. And my, my big takeaway was that Jimmy Carter was actually not superficial enough to be a, an effective president. Like, he was not cynical enough. He took himself, like... To, and, like, these are all qualities, like, a person should have. But it was, like, he... Like, the the rest of the political class was just, like, not on his level as far as having sort of, like, a nuanced and weighty attitude towards things. And yeah, if his if his agenda, as he kind of mapped it out, had been like fully executed or even like three quarters of it executed, I think there's really no question we would be in a better place, especially when it comes to energy. And, you know, it's kind of interesting now that now that we like Ford pardoning Nixon may have cost Ford the election. So you may not get a President Carter with your. uh, That is true. Your choice, Mm -hmm. Mike. I, we we've kind of made this case in the floor fight podcast is Ford was kind of more socially liberal than Carter. Um, he was. Yeah. I, I just think the emphasis should be on energy and the environment in the seventies. If we're starting early, <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. I, but, I had, should I talk about my, my runners up or are we not there yet? Uh, you can while we're still in the seventies. The first one was actually, um, I don't have the exact date for this, but in 1979, the moral majority was founded, which was essentially this coalition of, Christian organizations that was organized specifically for the purpose of like endorsing and funding candidates and like ballot initiatives Mm. and things like that. The most famous figure was Jerry Falwell, of course, very famous Southern Baptist preacher, founder of Liberty University. And it doesn't exist anymore. But the thing people I feel like not everybody realizes is that like evangelical Christians as like an organized political group did not really exist as an organized political group until the 70s. And I think that them doing so, uh, organizing the way they did, I think they basically any kind of rollback in any kind of civil rights, be it be it gay rights, be it the, the rights of racial minorities, be it women's rights, you can basically trace back to these kind of like organized yeah. um, Christian groups. A really Another good one film is, that sort of tracks that is The Eyes of Tammy Faye. If you have ah. not seen that, it is an excellent film. And yeah, sort of shows the beginnings of the Praise the Lord Network, Jerry Falwell's rise and the creation of the moral majority. Yeah, I would also throw in uh, the miniseries Mrs. America, which is yes. more so about the fight over the Equal Rights Amendment, but is about uh, Phyllis Schlafly, who was one of the most important conservative organizers and the role she played in that whole bit. And also about and a terrible the, uh, human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very bad. Very, very bad. And uh, my other runner-up was uh, this guy named Rune Arledge was made president of the ABC News division. And the reason that was bad is that he was like not a news person. He was like a sort of like sports and entertainment person. And he basically kind of like sensationalized a lot of news coverage that painted a lot of people like Jimmy Carter in a poor light. And I think kind of like helped pave the way for like a current cable news environment. Zach, you got any anything that was a runner up for you? Uh, it was the pardoning of Nixon. Oh. Okay. Are Great minds think alike. Ready to, to jump into the 80s like Marty McFly? I'm ready. Good. Mm-hmm. Let's crank that gnarly Madonna record and get ready for some bodacious waves, bro. Welcome to the 1980s. Uh, I would not describe Madonna as gnarly, but go on. I, I was just using it's, 80s words, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I always um, think of gnarly as more of a 90s word, but I don't know. I googled biggest words in the 80s, and gnarly <laughs> and bodacious were up there. I don't know. Zach, you want to go first this time? Sure. So in the 70s, I picked that Carter really has a better administration, and really that's to then set up 
what I picked for the 80s, which was to for him to win re-election in the 80, 1980 presidential election against Ronald Reagan. But larger scope, really, it's that Reagan loses to Carter in 1980, and Mondale was vice president at the time, but then ran in 1984, and that he would have then been set up to win in 84. Mondale, who famously lost, I think, the the greatest landslide in the history of American presidential elections. But had he won, he had picked Geraldine Ferraro as his vice president. She would have been the first woman to be vice president of the United States in 1984, guys. What would that have done for the generation of kids who grew up in the 80s or born in the 80s, knowing that a woman could be vice president. I think the ripples of that, I think, could have been huge. And that would have been, had we had Democrats in the office for the 80s, that would have been six Supreme Court justices that could have been picked by Democrats. So that's my pick for the 80s. I'll go next, because mine's similar, but in the completely opposite way is is Reagan demolishes the Democratic Party. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, my, my pick is actually Reagan that. wins Minnesota in 1984. <laughs> just really add insult to injury. Um, my, my pick is that Carter does lose re-election, but Bush had won the GOP primary in 1980 over Reagan. The problem with Reagan is like the path it sets the Republican Party on, and you need like a legitimate opposition, and I think Bush as that Republican leader in the 80s as president. It's just a better Republican party for the next couple decades. And, you know, like we kind of said last decade, uh, Carter was not a particularly effective president. There are certainly good reasons why he should have lost re-election. But, yeah, Bush over Reagan. We'll take the L to get the win in the long run. That's my That's my thing. <laughs> Fair enough. I, for whatever reason, when I was doing this, I stayed away from elections. I don't know why, but I, I did. So assuming we're living in, in, in a Reagan-fined world, I went with on July 1st, 1987, Ronald Reagan nominates Robert Bork to the Supreme Court. Uh, so Robert Bork was a conservative legal figure. He was actually the acting United States Attorney General who complied with Richard Nixon's whims during the Saturday Night Massacre. He was also the former Solicitor General of the United States. And he was nominated by Reagan to be a Justice of the Supreme Court. And once he did that, all hell broke loose, basically, within the Senate. And he was very, very fiercely opposed by uh, the Democrats, uh, who still who controlled Congress at this point, most importantly for this case, Senate. Ted Kennedy said, Robert Bork's America is a land in which women would be forced into back alley abortions, blacks would sit at segregated lunch counters, rogue police could break down citizens' doors in midnight raids, and school children could not be taught about evolution, writers and artists would be censored at the whim of the government, and the doors of the federal courts would be shut on the fingers of millions of citizens. Sounds like now, the kind of world Republicans want. <laughs> exactly. So, it's a, so okay, Robert Bork obviously did not become a Supreme Court justice. Uh, the Democrats were successful in blocking his nomination. In fact, is the last Supreme Court nomination to be blocked by the Senate. Well, other than the one in 2016. Well, yes, the last one to actually have had a hearing and to be voted on. Gotcha. That was blocked. The last to be rejected. How about yeah. that? The last um, to be blocked by the actual democratic process as opposed to just one person who decided right. that he just didn't want to let the process happen. Yeah. So, okay, as far as, like, what Borg actually would have done as a justice, I, it's kind of hard to say. It's weird because, like, his legal record was strange because he was Solicitor General of the U.S., 
which means that he actually had to like prosecute lots of cases on behalf of like complaints filed by people who were alleging racial discrimination and things like that. So his legal record is very like liberal on its face, but his own philosophy, he wrote a book after he was rejected called Slouching Towards Gomorrah, which basically said that liberalism was going to cause, cause the downfall of Western society. The goddamn so, gays. <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah, he argued we were on the path to like legalizing euthanasia. But anyway, the, the reason I, I have this particular thing, even though obviously he did not become a Supreme Court justice, was that as far as I'm concerned, this is kind of the first modern Supreme Court nomination hearing. And I think that is definitely for the worse right? Mm. This becomes a television spectacle. It becomes a way for people like Tana Kennedy, like Joe Biden, to basically kind of like grind their axes on TV and for everyone to hear and kind of do what people have been doing ever since in Supreme Court hearings, most recently the hearing for Kataji Brown-Jackson, and created this, uh, I would say, expectation for very hostile hearings and generally, I would say, lowered the uh, level of discourse when it came to these things. Like I said, like, you know, this was like one of the first where there were actual TV ads that were produced, like lobbying against the nomination. And again, I don't necessarily think this guy should have been a, a, on the Supreme Court, but I do think that it set into motion lots of just kind of very bad habits we fall into, especially now the Supreme Court's become such a, the end goal basically of winning the Senate is to control who gets on the Supreme Court. And I would add that this is some people, and I think this is overthinking a little bit considering the cumulative age of the Republicans in the Senate. So people are basically like, well, blocking Bork is basically now has put Republicans in this mindset where they're never going to give in to Democratic demands to, you know, get rid of a guy like Kavanaugh or something like that. I don't know how accurate that is. I, I don't, does Tom Cotton, who was like 10 years old when this was happening, really care about that? I don't know. But that's so that's my choice. Is your pick that Bork is successfully confirmed? No, that's my, my pick is that he's never nominated in the first place. Oh, okay. okay. I yes. completely misinterpreted okay. that. Though, I was just looking it up while you were talking. Because uh, the person who, when Bork went down, then it's Kennedy gets the nomination, right? Yeah. Whose seat is obviously replaced by Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Uh Bork actually dies in 2012 when you have a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate. In theory, yes, Kennedy, I think, is a better justice than Bork, for sure. But you would have one more Democrat on the Supreme Court now, had Bork been confirmed, which is where I thought you were going. <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I didn't think that far ahead, uh, but that's a good call. Interesting. So you, you, you just go like Kennedy out the gate? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Anyone have any, any other thoughts about the 1980s? Uh, I have some, but whenever we get to the aughts, I'll okay. go back and readdress it. Okay. Then start hoarding Beanie Babies, everyone. Let's crank up Mambo number five and get jiggy, because it's the 1990s now. That was the whitest thing I've ever heard, and Thank- I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it is the best decade, the 1990s. Not that I'm biased or anything. <laughs> I'm assuming you were born in that decade. Yes. <laughs> it was a good time. So let's change something. I'll, I'll go first this time, because... I'm such a 90s fan, I guess. My pick in the 90s is, in 1993, there was a vote held in Congress on D.C. statehood. I think D.C. statehood passes, and D.C. becomes a state in 1993 or 1994. That is my choice. You get two Democratic senators for the rest of, from here on out. And the Senate is very, very close for many of these years, so that's not negligible. And maybe you work out a deal, it's like, okay, well, let's get Puerto Rico in too, and let's just add some states in the 90s. That's my pick. Zach, you want to go next? Sure. That is a that is a very 
Interesting choice. I, I like it. For me, it's... This is going to be controversial. <laughs> oh, boy. Mine is that in 1998, Clinton resigns after the cheating scandal and Ooh. does so to take a stance as uh, taking ownership of his moral failures and that such behavior is unbecoming of the president of the United States and establishes a sense of moral fiber within the Democratic community, Democratic Party, and is no longer something that Republicans can throw up in someone's face every time they want to talk about morals. Oh my God, and Al Gore would be the incumbent president <laughs> in 2000. Exactly. I, I like it. Ooh, I like that pick. That's not bad. Glad to know that went over better than I thought it would. <laughs> that's That sent me spiraling. I, I need to think for a bit. Um, Mike, you want to give us yours? <laughs> sure. So mine is October 7th, 1996. That was the date that Fox News first aired, and Ooh. I would make sure that never happened. <laughs> um, I don't know that how much I my, have... That was my runner-up, was Fox News was never formed. Yeah, I don't know how much I have to... So my, my thing on Fox News is, like, I was thinking about this, and it's like, there's always been, like, partisan media, right? You know, obviously things like the National Review predates Fox News. Conservative talk radio, to some degree, predates Fox News, although it became very popular in the 90s. But the thing about Fox News is that it kind of legitimized... This idea that you had to take a sort of like rabid partisan stance on your news program, and it basically became a way to beam some of very either sort of like ridiculous and untrue beliefs, or sometimes just straight up like bigoted and like mean beliefs into Fear American households. And it like it, it forms this kind of this is kind of where I was going with my um, my my like moral majority runner-up pick is that it forms this kind of cons- it helps form it helps calcify this kind of conservative identity, right? One of my friends growing up, his parents were very conservative, and like they were like we are like a Fox News household was how they kind of described themselves, right? And that is a ridiculous way to identify yourself, no matter what the TV channel is. But the fact that like you can say that and you know what it means, I think just kind of like points to how pervasive this mindset has become and just the way that it has sort of created this kind of like base layer of Republican voters that I think really represent the least helpful version of Republican voters, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I picked it as my like runner up because it's, I think, almost single handedly radicalized the conservative base and was the precursor to this sort of cult-like environment that mm-hmm. conservatives have now where they do not rally around a party they don't rally around issues they now rally around a person yeah and that's terrifying and i think you can probably lead a lot of those issues back to fox news but don't you think that if fox news hadn't you know, there's like a vacuum there, right? Don't you think someone else would fill it, presumably, if the Fox News company does not? I think the like vacuum OAN. would have been filled, but I don't know if it would have been filled in such a legitimate way being mm. a 24-hour news service. I mean, yeah, we've got OAN and Right Side, right side Broadcasting, is that what they're called? Yeah, we've got those, but they're like little internet shows, right. you know, or they're on cable, but you have to have some like special satellite dish that only gets channels from Neptune or something. <laughs> In order to watch it this is like it's like channel 25 on your tv or whatever i don't yeah. know on cable so uh, it, it's ability to get into the home is so much easier and yeah i i guess my thinking yeah they had like you know R- rupert murdoch is gonna have a lot more resources and like know-how to build out a channel 
than yeah. some other, the, whoever the dude who like Newsmax is. And yeah, I think that's a fair point that it maybe fills up a vacuum, but I also just think that hard to argue that it not existing would not, would not be good for society in general. It's one thing to have a conservative point of view, like that it is inevitable that people, some people will think that way. You can't just erase that from society. But there's a difference between like William F. Buckley's PBS show, or he had thoughtful discussions with people he disagreed with, and Sean Hannity. Right. If I, I would hope that if something does fill that vacuum, it's more along the lines of like Buckley than Hannity, I guess. I mean, sure. If I had to pick a lesser of two evils. Yeah. Oh, yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> then, then sure. Okay. If, if I never heard Tucker Carlson's name, I would be a happy man. Oh, God. So back to the Clinton resignation. You're actually I, I'm actually kind of sold on this. I'm way more of like a Clinton fan than I think most people are anymore. I'm, you know, I've been kind of looking at like what Clinton did in his last two, three years in office, and I find it hard to believe that Al Gore would not have done all of these things, plus more, because he'd be inspired to like run for election. That's, That's true. Yeah, it's yeah. I also just think if we had like, there's no like accountability culture in American politics now. Mm. Even like Andrew Cuomo had to like really have his arm twisted <laughs> for him to resign, <laughs> and I, I just think yeah, it would help set I think a good precedent yeah good picks everyone any anything else in the 90s uh i wish that psych would have stuck around (laughs) (laughs) if there was like a u.s equivalent to madchester that'd be cool but no i can't think of anything else political okay well before we enter the 21st century we will take a commercial break do you love news and politics so much but you know what the problem is what's that it's also heteronormative oh well i have got the perfect podcast for you Ooh, spill the tea, Hanny. It's news and politics, but with a gay twist. In fact, that's what it's called, with a gay twist. It's a political podcast hosted by two homosexuals with graduate degrees in law and public policy. That sounds fabulous. They discuss everything from Congress to drag race. It's très gay. Head on over to www.withagaytwist.com to learn more. On it. Oops, wrong place. And we're back. It's time to kick things up a notch, guys. Let's fire up the Facebook, take some selfies, and twerk our way into the 2000s. Was kicking things up a notch an Emerald reference? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a Damn. thing I, I say sometimes. <laughs> Mike, you want to go first? What, what would you wave your wand on in the 2000s? Okay, so like I said, I was picking like kind of discreet moments as opposed to like big ideas so my big idea is like the iraq war doesn't happen but the discrete moment i picked up i think is actually like the most damaging outside of like a bunch of people dying it was february 5th 2003 when colin powell addresses the united nations security council to trying to justify the iraq war so the iraq war again like outside of just the the wanton death and destruction that occurred both from the actual fighting in the war and then like all the ripple effect of like isis forming and all of that what i think like colin powell's address does is that like it legitimizes everybody's worst fears about what government does which is blatantly lie to do whatever they want in the first place i mean he is telling absolute bald-faced lies throughout that entire thing talking about facilities that don't exist nuclear capabilities that iraq does not have all based on extremely faulty information from a guy who was just trying to get a visa to come to the United States who was hiding out in Germany somewhere. Like, he is just making crap up. And in addition to, like I said, just the 
physical like effects of the Eractor that are very bad. It does a few things, which is that it reinforces, again, the sense of sort of cynicism and like legitimizes conspiracy mongering, basically. And I think that has effects actually on the right and the left. The right, I think it's very obvious in the sense that like you could argue that like the whole like Trump wing of the Republican Party is in many ways a reaction to neoconservatism and the Bush wing of the Republican Party, which is completely discredited by the Iraq war and gives everyone a very good reason to not want to support these quote unquote mainstream Republicans who helped bring it about and who led to the deaths of their friends and family, right? Who spent a lot of their taxpayer dollars on a completely useless war. It also, I think, kind of leads, this is a very like Twitter brained opinion, but like <laughs> it leads to like, I think of people like Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald, right? Who were like left wing figures who really made their name opposing the Bush administration and the Iraq war. That has become such a big part of their personality that now when, say, Russia invades Ukraine, the United States wants to give money to Ukraine, Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald go, now hold on a minute, are we sure that Russia are the bad guys here? Are we sure we should be giving weapons to Ukraine? And are basically like, you know, say what you about Donald Trump, but uh, he didn't bomb countries like Hillary Clinton did and things like that. And basically kind of creates this weird sort of, this, this new horseshoe in a way between these sort of like, like I said, the, the Taibbi Greenwald left and then the, uh, the the Trump right. Interesting. I'll, I'll go next. Mine, I, I did go back to an election on this one, and this is based on our uh, our bonus episode of Floor Fight, Mike, is Gore wins the 2000 election. I, yeah. We, we unpack that that probably means that the Iraq war does not happen. So the moment that you're describing doesn't happen, I just see this as stepping one step back and... You know, if, I, if I'm really changing it, I'm saying, like, Gore decisively wins the 2000 election, actually. It's not like a—it's it's not this narrow nightmare that it is. It's that Gore is, like, a clear winner, and you don't have the 2000 election stain and the recount stain on, like, American history. Because that just—that just really kicks things up a notch for the next uh, two decades in American elections in not a great way. Zach? So related to that, and I do have a runner-up that I'll get to— it's not so much that Gore wins the 2000 election. To me, the election stays exactly how it happened, with hanging chads and all. <laughs> oh, God, hanging chads. Do we remember that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually but, Chad, if I remember correctly. Oh, yes, you're right. I'm sorry, the hanging chad. It's that because Reagan was not in office from 80 to 84 and was able to put so many justices on the Supreme Court, Bush v. Gore at the Supreme Court is just decided differently and is decided so that Gore wins. And you're right, because of that, possibly no 9-11 happens, possibly no uh, war in Iraq or Afghanistan, no 20-year wars, no housing market crash, Citizens United. I mean, all the things that could have been different had the Supreme Court been ready by the aughts to prevent uh, a lot of these things from happening. And then my follow-up, or my runner-up, rather, if that couldn't have happened, if we still had to have everything go the same way, it would just be that Helen Thomas just got to have a weekly one-on-one with Bush and just grill his ass every single week. An interesting pick that I have to yeah, Google who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Helen Thomas she was, was a, a fabulous reporter. reporter oh. who worked in the White House press office, and she was just a feisty old woman who had i mean ovaries that were so big 
as opposed to saying like she had balls. Oh, she had these huge <laughs> ovaries, and she was just not scared to like. I'm just going to ask the hard questions. Yeah, she was fierce and amazing, and rest in peace. Mike, why not choose the 2000 election going the other way? I mean, I, for whatever reason, I stayed away from elections. I don't know why. Hmm. Well, because I, I was it keeps it more, more interesting. <laughs> I was thinking less of like a reversing something and more of like a what had the worst impact. Yeah. There's a universe where it's like Bush's president and there's no Iraq war. You know what I mean? I was thinking there, to me, there was like kind of like less causal relationship between like Bush just becoming president than there was like the Iraq war and what's going on now. But I, I mean, that's a totally fair point. I mean, that, yeah. that you know, like I said, I just stayed away from elections for this. I, maybe just because I have election fatigue because we <laughs> talk about those so often. Um, but I, it's totally like I'm not going to argue with that at all. I think it's totally valid. Yeah. Elections I, matter. They do. They have they have consequences. <laughs> they, they really do. I feel like, Zach, though, in your thing, I feel like the housing crisis and financial crisis still happen. They probably do. Because Gore is not, you know, I, I feel like Bush isn't even responsible for the financial crisis. Like, if anything, it starts with Reagan. God damn. That guy. <laughs> but again, all the things. If you ask the Cato Institute, it's all Clinton's fault. But go on. <laughs> not saying i agree with them i'll make that clear <laughs> well finally let's binge some netflix call up bay to pokemon go to the polls with us because it's the 2010s now pokemon go to the polls <laughs> i mean john favreau deserved a bonus for that one <laughs> how, I hope how he got a bonus for that one how clinton did not win that election with that it line beyond i me. don't know zach you want to kick us off here what would you change in the 2010s well, for each decade, I think I've picked a very lofty idea and a very sort of like, oh, these are big changes I'm making. And so for the 2010s, I thought, let's just go with something a little off kilter. And it's that social media dies a quick yet painful <laughs> death. And we have to rely on, get ready, this is going to be controversial. I'm going to be controversial yet brave for a moment. We rely on reading newspapers again. Like, I mean, sitting at the breakfast table with your cup of coffee, holding the newspaper like our dads did. That's what I think we had to go back to. It's, I like that that's a uh, outside-of-politics pick, too. It would, have had, it would have had a lot of effects, right? It would have, I think, been better for the news media. We can read virtual newspapers things. still, right? Like, we can read it online. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could go to NewYorkTimes.com. I guess you could. I, feel like I really like the idea of, like, the paper papers, though. Yeah. I feel like that's an irreversible thing, though. Once one company does it, it's kind of a race to the bottom. I guess if I also said, like, Apple never invents the iPad, then maybe newspapers would have had a better chance. Who knows? So I was really split on mine, and then we'll let Mike go last. The the really obvious one is just that Clinton wins the 2016 election, like, hands down. I, I think it's important to, like rebuke this this wing of the republican party and be like nope we actually super decided not that very clearly which you know majority of america did but that was not a clear rebuke that was a that was a loss the other one that i that i've kind of like been meddling with in my mind is that trump is actually convicted in i guess this is now january of 2020 february of 2020 when the trial is happening but around his ukraine call in 2019 is that trump faces like a serious blowback that makes it clear that this is never okay you know his presidency happens we learn some terrible lessons from that that maybe we had to learn about why we don't elect people like this and you learn that lesson by saying like you are convicted and you can never be president ever again and no one should ever be like you and then i think you know 
Mike Pence, not great, but probably, you know, better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Better Consequences are important. And, you know, a, a Clinton winning that election is a consequence, but it's not like this like vicious consequence against Trumpism in a way that if all of these Republican senators and congressmen lined up to like vote Trump out would have been. Okay, so mine is like, I mean, it's basically, it's very similar. It's uh, on October 28th, 2016, James Comey does not send a letter to Congress oh. saying that he is <laughs> reviewing more emails that Hillary Clinton was involved in. And uh, I think that could honestly swing the election towards Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And yeah, and it's funny what you said about like him just losing Hillary would not have been like a stiff enough rebuke. Or it's like, I actually kind of like, I disagree a little bit in the sense that it's what I think the lesson that like a lot of Republicans learned from Trump winning was like, oh, we don't have to like censor ourselves anymore, actually. Like we can just kind of say whatever we want and there's like an audience for it and we can win elections, right? And so I think even, and they were like, we just have to find a version of that that's not criminal and we can win a bunch of elections. Mm. Whereas I feel like if they actually lose the election, then it's like, oh, we can't say this stuff anymore because that'd be bad. Yeah. To be clear, that is still my first choice is, is right. Hillary just wins <laughs> right. the election. I just yeah. wanted to be more interesting. So I went with the mm. impeachment and, con- and conviction. I think uh, I'll, I'll go with yours as well. I mean, I've, I already picked mine, but I guess if I had to go with one, I think that, yes, of course, Hillary winning would be great. But if we could have taken a stand in his first impeachment to write, do exactly what you said, a full-throated denunciation of his behavior and said, yeah, we're, we're, we're not doing that. We're not standing for that. We will convict him in the Senate. We'll get President Pence... And then, God, what would have happened with COVID then at that point with President Pence? Pence, I at least think, would have not politicized mask wearing Mm -hmm. uh, like Trump did. And, I mean, we've lost so many lives in the United States because of something like that, that I think you can trace back to Trump being all, I'm I'm not not, going to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. So what would have, yeah, what would the ripples of that been? And, you know, I mentioned this a couple decades ago, but I am a big believer in this legitimate opposition thing. And you do not have that in this country. But I feel like if you get, you know, the Republican Party standing up for itself and saying, like, you can't be here anymore. You are a problem and you are no longer our leader. And we're going to go back to, like, the Romney or Bush wing of the party. Like, that is a legitimate... The country is so much better off if the Republican Party acts legitimately and is like, yeah, these elections aren't stolen and we disagree with you, but we're not going to, like, send people after you to, like bother you every day we're i think we're past that sadly yeah uh i mean I don't know if you saw jonathan swan's interview with mitch mcconnell recently but i mean mitch mcconnell has is oh yeah i mean if trump's nominated again in 2024 i'll support him <laughs> he, he he has no spine he uh, it's it's frankly disgusting that he's willing to say well if it means we win then sure we'll get behind an author- authoritarian wannabe Anything else in the 2010s? Then I have a fun question I just thought of. (laughs) What is the most... We've talked about a a few elections, but if we're going to be completely election-focused, what is the most important election of these 50 years? Probably 2000, I think. Oh, I feel like 2016 is not an incorrect answer either, though. Yeah, I actually think it's probably either 2000 or 1980. But as soon as you asked the question, the first thing that popped in my head was 2016. Yeah. But that could also be because it's the freshest, most still very vivid to me. But 2000, I think even if all the things that we had talked about in the previous decades 
all stayed the same, nothing changed, but we could just change Gore winning in 2000. Mm. Imagine what that would have done for climate change action, what it could have done for civil rights, the economy, the wars. I mean, well, I guess I'll say 2000. Maybe Gore was the greatest president we never had. <laughs> Tune into yeah. Floor Fight to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like with 2002, it's like between 1880 and 1996. We had some close elections, some controversial elections, but I don't think we had very many where, like, we were the, uh, you could kind of, like, very accurately be like, no, this was, like, the incorrect, like, result, like, this is, like, mm. the wrong person has been inaugurated. And I think very nearly every election since 2000 has been contested with varying degrees of legitimacy on those lines, and I think 2000 just really opens up the Pandora's box to that. Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't an election decided by the people. It was an election decided by nine people. Really fewer than that. <laughs> five people. Yeah, it, it was yeah. an election decided by five people. You're absolutely right. It was an election decided by five people. Well, on that note, we will end this episode with our In Our Lifetime for this week. So we've talked a lot about different paths we could have taken in the last 50 years and the bitter polarization that has plagued the country through much of it. But the question is... It's been 30 years since the Constitution was last amended, that being the 27th Amendment, which took over 203 years to be ratified. It was in the original Bill of Rights. In our lifetime, will the Constitution be amended again? Mike? It's certainly not going to happen within the next 20 or so years, I don't <laughs> think. Okay, so my thinking is that I'm going to have to say no. Wow. No, I don't think so. I don't think that there is a issue that you could get the requisite number of people to agree on to amend it for that reason and maybe when i'm like 70 there will be but certainly not not anytime soon zach oh man i <laughs> am a cynic who tries to be an optimist but yeah i'm with mike it's it's not happening there we are way too polarized it would take a significant world event to bring the country together so that we could get behind something that that the states could ratify uh, i mean 90 something percent of people uh, agree with background checks on gun sales right. and having people who are terrorists and have mental health problems to not buy guns and we can't even get that passed so i i don't think we're going to be able to get a constitutional amendment passed okay i i'm gonna be a little more optimistic i'm gonna say yes but it'll be for some very like technical perfunctory thing <laughs> like Man, um, it's funny, because I'm looking at now, the Constitution literally has never been amended in my lifetime. Yeah. 1992 well, we, was the last one. Uh, it has been amended once in my lifetime. <laughs> it's been a long time. And there, there was like a 60-year chunk right up until the Civil War that it was not amended, and that is the longest period. But alas, there you have it. So we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everyone. Be sure to go follow at With a Gay Twist on Twitter, and Zach, too, of course. Zach, anything you want to plug before we hop off? No, that's all. Go, go to www.withagaytwist.com and follow me on Twitter at ZacharyPen48. All right. And, of course, you can also reach out to us on Twitter where you can find and follow us at The Post Writer or email us at contact at thepostwriter.com. We like hearing from you. Come chat with us. Suggest some things for us to talk about. We're a Postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com. You can check out all the stuff we work on, things we've written, our other podcasts, and more over there. Thanks to Mike and special thanks to Zach for joining. Good to have you all. So good to be here. Thank you.